I remember when we first started doing POs here at New Spring Church, and we had staff running around going, we didn't used to have to do POs. We didn't used to have to do POs. And I got them all in the room. I was like, it's because we used to not have any freaking money. That's why we didn't have to do POs. Seriously. See, I remember being in a closet in the fine arts, in the Sullivan building of Anderson University, counting money. I was back there every week. You say, why? Because I wanted to get paid. That's why. And I would be like, all right, there's Mr. Thompson, and I know he's going to bring $75, and that's what he ties. If somebody, if a tither missed church, I called them. Hey, uh, missed you this week. You going to double up? I mean, I, you know, I didn't even ask if they were sick. See, here's what I know. There's a lot of guys and there's a lot of gals out there when it comes to your church and it growing, you use money as an excuse and you'll come to a facility like this and you'll go, if I had all this, I could grow. Let me ask you a question. You think this dropped out of the freaking sky? You think that youth building, we just went out there and prayed about it? Dear God, we'd love a youth building. Dang. I mean, do you think, that, think that's how it happened? you got to be willing to make all kinds of changes in your church, including financial changes. Financial changes. Seriously. And, and folks, listen, for those of you that, for, for those of you church planners, for those of you church planners, listen, 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 listen. Don't ever, don't ever let the money drive to the decision. Let the voice of God drive the decision. Because if it's God's will, it's God's bill. And if he said to do it, he will pay for it no matter what the economy looks like. In fact, I think he gets more glory in a bad economy than he does a good economy. So why not do what God called you to do? Uh, so apparently uh, these guys are hearing the voice of God telling them to uh, not preach the word, to preach to felt needs, to not actually have in-depth Bible study, to not disciple. Yeah, God would never give you, speak to you to do that. None of the CFOs clapped. Here we go. Verse uh, Acts 6, another change, another change. They're changing. I mean, they're growing. Acts chapter 6, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, this... notice something here. The changes he's calling for are not the kinds of changes, quote, even discussed here in the passage at all. They experienced growth as a result of God. Those who were chosen, those whom God turned, those whom God added, God was adding daily to those who were who were being saved. God was doing the adding, and they had the day to day manage of it. And there were there were they had growth pains in that, but the message never changed. Harry Noble preaches a different message because he twists God's word. This was an argument that's going on. You know, I didn't get any food, and you got an extra roll, and I didn't get any roll, and you get. I mean, there's, and, and, you know, I'm making fun of it, but it's literally a problem that could have like split the church. So let's keep reading. Uh, verse two. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, "Look at this. It would not be right. That's huge. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables." Another- Notice that the apostles would not refuse to neglect the ministry of the word of God actually teaching the full counsel of the Word of God. Seeker-driven guys don't do that at all. You get a sprinkling of -of out-of-context verses woven together in a tapestry of deceit designed to help you find life strategies to make your life better. In other words, it's important that that gets done, but we can't do that. This kind of blows the myth out of the water. We'll talk more about this this afternoon that the pastor's supposed to do everything in the church. If you're here and you're with your pastor and going, the pastor's supposed to do everything, it's probably because you're doing nothing. I agree with him here. Pastors are not called to do everything in the church. Their focus should be on God's word and the ministry of, of of word and sacrament. All the pastors were like, ugh, did you hear that? Anyway, verse 3. Brothers, choose seven men from among you. In other words, here's the apostles. They're standing in front of the whole church. They're like, y'all are going to solve the problem. We got a problem. Y'all are going to solve the problem. 
Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group, which is the only time that's ever happened in the church. They... They chose Stephen, a man full of the faith and the Holy Spirit, and da-da-da. Verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Verse 7, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Here's the deal. Verse 7 is key to this text because they were willing to change and because they got to the place where they said, all right, we can't hire a staff member every time we have a need. We've got to get volunteers involved in ministry. And they began to get volunteers involved in ministry. And Peter and James and John, the people who were in charge of preaching the word and teaching the word and leading the thing, they were allowed to preach and teach and lead. And they had volunteers over here making sure all the ministries in the church happened. And when that took place, the Bible says that more and more and more people received Jesus. That's where we've got to get to as a church. The pastor can't do everything. The staff can't do everything. And by the way, let me push down on this a little bit, pastors. You, if you want to see your church really take off, then you've got to get out of the day-to-day operations of every ministry in your church. Like, for example, some of you pastors, you're too involved in the youth ministry. Seriously. And you were a youth minister 20 years ago, and so you think you're still cool. (laughs) No, I'm serious. Come on now. All the youth ministers, you're getting excited now. Just calm down, all right? So I'm serious. And so you, I mean, you, listen, dude, let me tell you something, bro. DC Talk, Eddie DeGarmo, and, and, and Stephen Curtis Chapman aren't doing it for the youth anymore. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, come on now. People ask me all the time, what did you do? I'm like, your youth ministry is growing. Our youth ministry has gone from 250 kids to 800 kids last night. How'd that happen? I hired a godly anointed youth minister. I let him hire a team and I got the heck out of his way. And they do stuff I don't get. They'll be like, this song is awesome. And I'll go over there and be like, and I'll be like, I've got to go throw up now. I don't even like that. But I look and there's kids on the front row going, and I'm like, okay, well, that's great. Let me push on this a little harder. Pastors, you know what your job is when it comes to youth ministry? Make sure it has enough money. Your job is to fund it. And the problem, the reason a lot of youth ministries aren't growing is because with some of our churches, there's more money in our cemetery fund than there is the youth budget. And why are you taking care of those people? Half of them probably aren't in heaven anyway. Come on now. Come on. Because you get buried in a church graveyard. Have you ever been to a funeral where the pastor went, he went to hell. I mean, that's never happened. Your kids want to go to camp and you stick them in front of Walmart with Krispy Kreme donuts. Your senior adults want to go pick apples and you pay for that. Some of of you pastors, the godliest thing you could do in your church is go back and triple your youth budget. People ask me all the time, why do so many kids show up to your church? We spend money on them. The world's spending money on them. That might be what you need to change. That might be worth the price of the conference. That was awesome. Here we go. (laughs) Chapter 8, verse 1. The Bible says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church of Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And verse 4, it says, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Acts chapter 8, multi-site church. Multi-site church took place. That is not what that text teaches. The text does not teach seeker-driven multi-site churches there. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Complete eisegesis. People got dispersed to the four corners of the, uh, of the, of the entire world and the empire, and they brought the gospel with them wherever they went. That's not multi-site church. They established churches. And each church had overseers and deacons and elders. Oh. Multisite church took place. Isn't that awesome? You got multisite. Where do you get the idea from multisite? Acts 8. 
no, Acts 8 does not teach that at all. Now, I know a lot of people are nervous about the multi-site movement. I've had people ask me this question. It's one of my favorite questions now. What about all them preachers out there that are called to preach the word of God and churches like y'all, y'all go in, put up a screen, you're preaching, you're not giving them a chance. (laughs) Do you actually think that a video screen can stop the anointing of God on a man to preach the word of God? If you do, your God is too small. Let me tell you why a lot of people have a problem with multi-site church. You probably played basketball for a team in a league that didn't keep any score because everybody was a winner. And you think life should treat you fairly. Actually, my problem is, is that it just multiplies heresy. So then rather than containing the seeker-driven heresy to one particular megachurch, now it's like a weed popping up all over the place. Like gopher holes. Tougher to control those rodents when they're popping up all over the place. Come on now. I was the fat kid on the team that I thought I deserved a trophy even though I didn't play. And you think life should treat you fairly. And what's really going on when you begin to criticize the multi-site movement is you're an insecure pastor and the insecurity is coming out. I'm telling you. Uh, No, I'm not insecure at all. And I'm not a pastor. I'm a theologian and an apologist. And what it does is it just increases the heresy. And people are not really being shepherded and being taught and discipled God's word. Something, bro. You stand on your church, you preach the word of God under the anointing of God, and it doesn't matter what's going on down the street because in actuality, if everybody in your town and my town and our town showed up to every one of our churches Sunday morning, they would all be full and we'd need about a hundred more to accommodate the people. We've got to get out of the business, business of competing with one another and start completing one another. Listen, if, If you're a- yeah, the thing is, I'm not interested in completing you until you repent of your false doctrine, your Bible twisting, and get back to preaching Christ and Him crucified and correctly exegeting God's word. A pastor that actually walks out on stage and takes shots at another pastor in your community or another church in your community, you need to repent before God. You say, why would a pastor do that? Either because you're insecure or the anointing of God is leaving you and you know it. So they changed. They went multi-site. No, Acts chapter 8 does not teach anything about multi-site. Wrong. That is complete eisegesis and a twisting of God's word. And I'm so glad that we didn't approach the Bible that way that people are criticized. Well, you know, all these other pastors out there, they they should be able to preach too. All these other pastors out there, aren't you glad they didn't approach the Bible that way? There's this guy, Paul, he keeps writing all this stuff. There's other writers out there. Why has Paul got to get all this stuff? Look at Judas. <laughs> Question number two. Are we willing to work? Are we willing to change? Second question is, are we willing to work? Because if you want to change, you've got to be willing to work. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I wish I could do a whole talk on this. I, uh, I used to weigh over 300 pounds. Yeah, see? Yeah, you used to weigh over 300 pounds? Uh, yeah. I I wore a size 50 in the waist. 26, 52, 54, 50, anyway, so. I wore a size 50 in the waist, and I lost weight. Lost down to a size 36. I weighed 215. People ask me, how'd you lose weight? I'm like, you don't want to know. No, really, I want to know. You don't want to know. No, how'd you lose weight? All right, here's the deal. I came home one day. I said, I'm tired of being fat. That's the, you, unless, unless you're tired of it, you're never going to do it. I put on running shoes and orange jogging pants. <laughs> the astronauts in the space shuttle saw this. I mean, it was... <laughs> I went out on the road. I ran as far as I could, 10 feet. <laughs> then I walked. Caught my breath, started running again. I ran. You know what? I, I got up to a mile. got up to two miles. I got up to three miles. I got up to four miles. And by the way, I pushed away from the table. That's not very popular in the Baptist church. They'll criticize beer, but they won't say a thing about the buffets. 
You need to put down the beer. You need to put down the Twinkie. You got to give it to him. He tells a great story. He's able to spin a good yarn. I, he said he's a gifted speaker. That's just funny right there. That pissed some people off. Here we go. Second Kings. <laughs> a little rough around the edges there. I feel like I'm listening to Larry the Cable Guy. See, here's the deal. When it came to weight, I didn't look for a formula. I didn't look for a pill. I didn't go to the doctor and say, do something for me. I said, something's got to be done here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the work. I'm, gonna, I'm willing to do the work. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make the change that I don't like happen. If you want change in your church, you've got to do more than pray about it. I believe Christians for far too long have used prayer as an excuse for inactivity. We say we're going to pray about it, but we're not willing to do anything about it. And we want God to do his part, but we're not willing to do our part. And our posture before God should be, God, you do what you're going to do, and you tell me what you want me to do, and I'm going to go do it, God. I'll turn over tables. I'll do whatever you God's already told you pastors what he wants you to do. He's already he's already explained the job of a pastor. It's found in the Bible. And he's not going to tell you to do something that contradicts it. Remember, Jesus Christ said, go into all the world making disciples of all nations. So we're supposed to make disciples. Christ in Luke 24 says, proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in his name to all nations. That's an important thing. And then we get to the pastoral epistles and God himself makes it clear what the job of a pastor is. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, by the way, and by his appearing and his kingdom to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves uh, teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. In other words, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, warns us against the seeker-driven movement, of which Perry Noble is one of the prime Pied Pipers of that particular purpose-driven movement you want me to do you just instruct me that's the way these lepers reacted look at this verse um five at dusk we're back to the lepers the lepers had nothing to do with the miracle that god performed there in second kings chapter seven nothing whatsoever if there were no lepers god still did the miracle without them they got up oh wow <laughs> oh they said it's time to stop talking about this. We're going. They, they didn't say, "Dear God, we don't want to die. Help us in the name of Jesus." Amen. Y'all want to sing? I mean, that, they didn't do that. This is a complete continuing of the mangling of Second Kings chapter seven. It says the Lord caused them, the Syrians, to hear what sounded like a great army, and they got scared and fled. It had nothing to do with the lepers. They were just the first people to actually wander into the Assyrian camp after they had been driven away by God. They said, nobody over there is moving. Nobody's doing anything. we got to do something. So the Bible says, they got up and went to the camp of the Aramaeans. When they reached the edge of the camp, not a man was there. For the Lord. That's huge. For the Lord. For the Lord. All these people are over in Samaria under sage. Things are going bad, begging God to work. And God was already at work outside their city doing something that if they would have just focused on him would have blown their mind. But nobody was willing to change. Nobody was. They were too busy asking God to do something for us. And God was like, I'm doing something for you, but you've got to get out of the city if you want to see what I'm doing for you. No, that's not what God said at all. Remember uh, the prophet Elisha? He actually told them what God had told him to say. Let's go back to the text, Second Kings chapter 7, verse 1. But Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time, a saya of fine flour 
shall be sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain, on whose hand the king leaned, said to the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? Uh, But he said, You shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Why? Because he didn't believe. He didn't have faith. So no, the Lord didn't say, you got to get up and get out of the city. Nope, that's not in the text at all. Perry here, again, is lying to you about what God's word teaches. 2 Kings chapter 7 does not teach the church these two things, that uh, we have to be willing to embrace change and have to be willing to, quote, work to make that change come about. The change in the circumstances there in Samaria were all wrought by God despite the lack of faith and obedience of the uh, Samarians. Unbelievable. We continue. The Bible says, for the Lord, look at this, this is so cool. I don't know how he did this, but he did it. For the Lord had caused the Aramans to hear the sounds... Sound of chariots and horses and a great army. God, massive CD player, CD and bam, done. iPod, we don't know. So that they looked, so they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. Probably one of the funniest scenes in the Bible. Yeah, and it didn't have anything to do with the lepers. It happened before the lepers even had their little conversation. God's like, hey, watch this. And all the people say, he's like, that's awesome. Or maybe God was playing, maybe it was a PlayStation. I don't even know what God was doing. But God made this happen. Here's the deal. If these lepers hadn't been willing to change and take a risk, they never would have gotten in on what God was doing. Our- oh. Taka, this is just an abuse of God's word. This is not a valid conclusion. This is not a valid interpretation. This isn't a valid reading of this text at all. Problem, and I, this is, I'm so guilty of this. I keep asking God for permission to do something in the church when I should actually place myself in submission to the work he's already done. And if we will stop seeking permission and start placing ourselves in submission, we will discover that God's already doing things that are blowing our minds if we would just focus on him and quit trying to get him to buy into our agenda. The story tells us that the uh, the, the people there didn't even buy into what God had revealed through the prophet Elisha. And just, Perry, real quick, do you think if those poor lepers hadn't gone outside the city that, the, you, know, the, 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 you know, the king of Israel would still be holed up inside of uh, the gates there, wondering what had happened to the army? Probably not. If you're gonna if you're gonna work for change in your church, you gotta two things. I, I say you gotta get your eyes focused. This will be fun. The first eye is you gotta investigate the obvious. You gotta investigate the obvious. Let me ask you this question as a staff, and there are many staff members here. Staff members, is there anything in your church right now going on that if you weren't on staff, you you wouldn't be excited about it? Like what happened to Dr. James Duncan. Hard to believe that uh, Perry was completely in the dark about this, considering the fact that uh, he was receiving tweets from the perps within his own staff. Like I remember as the youth pastor, I used to have to get up and make announcements. Y'all want to be to this thing Tuesday night. It's going to be awesome. The ladies are making dishes and we're going to talk about quilts and missionaries and stuff. And y'all need to be here. And I'm thinking the whole time, if I wasn't getting paid, I wouldn't be here. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. Are you manufacturing energy for anything in your church? Seriously. Sunday school. Come on now. I worked in a traditional church for 10 years. Pastor didn't go to Sunday school. The Sunday school director didn't go to Sunday school. None of the deacons went to Sunday school. They're all out back smoking. 
are sobering up. So therefore, we should dump Sunday school. Yeah, that's some real backwoods logic. And then they all get on stage going, you need to go to Sunday school. And everybody's like, it's something that you manufacture energy for. Is there anything in your church? And and here's the, well, we don't want to kill it because so-and-so, they love it. Well, okay, so you're going to kill your entire church because you don't want to hurt two people's feelings. Is there anything you're manufacturing energy for? Is there a staff member or a volunteer that's not getting the job done and they need to, you need to have a conversation? I don't want to hurt their feelings. God called you to hurt somebody's feelings. Jesus hurt feelings. Read Matthew 23. When he called the Pharisees sons of the devil, snakes, vipers, stuff like that, that, was, that hurt their feelings. <laughs> they blogged about that. You know what I'm saying? Notice the swipe at the bloggers there, those people who are holding him accountable and pointing out his uh, false doctrine, Bible twisting, and bad methods. Those you on the internet, it's coming. Just wait. It's, I'm almost there. <laughs> Notice he's taking this culture that he's inculcated in, at uh, New Spring and trying to infuse it into other people's churches. I went to visit my wife's church one time. It's the church she grew up in. And I remember I, I walked in and I told her, I, I, we had just planted our church. And I was like, all right, here's the deal. I'm going to walk in. I'm going to enjoy the service. I'm not going to evaluate anything. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to walk into the church and enjoy the service. She looked at me and she went. <laughs> so I walk in and there's this guy um, and he, and like the, the greeter. Have you ever been to the church with the rude greeter? <laughs> and I walk in, he don't say a word. He just holds out a bulletin. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? And I was like, and I held it until he said something to me. Because he wasn't going to talk and he's a greeter. Some of y'all are like, well, he loves to greet. Well, he sucks at it. I tell people, Judas loved to take up the money. I went in the church. I sat down on a pew next to a guy. I walked in. I promise you, this is back when I used to shave my head bald. I sat down. I looked at the guy and smiled. Guy next to me, he got up and moved three pews down. (laughs) Guess they don't want, you know what I'm saying? Call stuff like that out. Do you have somebody on your stage that sings that can't sing? Oh, come on now. You've all been there. She or he gets up there and they go, God laid this on my heart. Two minutes into it, you're like, you laid this on her heart? I know I'm not supposed to question you, but could you kill her or me? Because one, I mean. But she has a good heart. Yeah, but her voice is horrible. And we're not listening to her heart. <laughs> I remember the first time I, I, I was saved in a, in, a, in a traditional church. And man, but let me tell you something about this church. The pastor preached the word of God and everything was done. with. I mean, the choir was awesome. If you wanted to sing a solo, you had to audition to, to sing the solo. And I was spoiled. And I went to my first church and a guy got up to sing. I never will forget this. I never will forget this as long as I live. I'm on the second row sitting with the youth group. I got them all, you know, four of them to sit on the front row with me. And this guy gets up and he starts singing the song by Don Francisco. He's alive. You remember that one? Longest song in the world. <laughs> Only song longer is Watch the Lamb. It actually took longer to kill Jesus than it does to sing that song. You know what I'm saying? I know some of y'all did that in your Easter cantata, so I'm really sorry. But I'm sitting there listening to him, and he starts singing. And I didn't know, because I didn't grow up in church. He starts singing, and I started laughing. Because I thought it was a skit. Pastors, let me encourage you, get, let me encourage you to, to get a group around you that investigates the obvious. I've got a group of men and women around me that behind closed doors, they can say anything they need to say to me anytime they need to say it. I- uh, then why didn't they tell you about what was happening to James Duncan? There were people on your staff that knew about it.
I want their feedback. I want them to tell me if a sermon's bad. I want them to tell me if an illustration didn't work. I want them to tell me if my idea is bad. I don't want a bunch of yes, boss. That's a good idea, boss. I like you, boss. I don't want that. You know why? I care more about Jesus and his church than I do my pride. And I've invited other people to investigate the obvious in my life. Really? That's funny because that's what I've been doing with you for a while now, Perry, investigating the obvious regarding your false doctrine and your false theology and your Bible twisting in your sermons. Just like in this one. I'm investigating the obvious. And yet you won't allow me to speak into your life because I'm a, quote, blogger and critic. Where are the people holding you accountable to your doctrine and to the fruit of your teaching in your own church? Now, I don't invite everybody. I'm coming. I'm coming. Hold on. In fact, let's go there. The first I is investigate the obvious. This next one, now you're going to have to give me a minute. I need to explain it. So let me say it. Let me explain it. The second I is ignore the jackass. I'm almost there. So anybody who's a critic... You are to ignore him because he's, quote, the jackass. This is the attitude that he's that caused the problem in the first place at New Spring with James Duncan. He just automatically put him in the category of the jackass and then ignored him. Listen carefully. Ignore the jackass. In Greek, jackass is translated blogger. Yeah, that includes me, that includes Dr. James Duncan, anybody who would dare to criticize, dare to criticize Perry Noble is to be ignored and they're automatically a jackass. It doesn't matter what they say, it's automatically to be ignored. When I was in Kenya, let's see where I got this. The Lord gave it to me. The Lord didn't give you that. Yes, he did. I was in Kenya. We were in a village called, called Kendaria, and we were having a, like a, a village meeting. And they asked us all to go under the tree. It was just the tree, the big tree in the village. They called it the big tree, so that's where we went. We just, the big tree. So we're all sitting under this tree, and a team there, five of us, and we're going to all these villages, and there's this guy up in front of us, sitting in front of like the, the, the team of elders in the village. And he's like the spokesman. And he's casting vision as to what they wanted to see happen in their village. And he's casting vision. And we're all into it. And all of a sudden, this donkey, about 15 feet away, freaks out. <laughs> I mean, it went, it was like, and it's kicking and stuff. This guy never acknowledged the jackass. He kept casting vision. And I felt the Lord tell me, that's the problem in the church. Too many pastors are paying attention to the jackasses and not casting vision. And when you pay attention to a jackass and you don't cast vision, you will miss it every time. So you're blaming this on the Lord. So this is now the the new Perry Noble Bible. You need to cast vision and ignore the jackass, Jesus said. Should be red letters. Two, let me talk about two types of jackasses really quick. <laughs> the first one is the person that takes shots if you, at you that have never been to your church. Pastors, let me tell you something. God called you to cruise at an altitude of 30,000 feet. God called his church to soar above the problems. Why in the world would you let a boy with his BB gun in his backyard intimidate you? The bloggers that'll go online, that'll take shots at you, that copy parts of your sermon and like cut a little bit and 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 splice. And then they, they go and they get, listen to this guy's sermon. They listen to this guy's sermon. They listen, listen. Like who has time for that? The jackass. You're watching, right? That's a reference to me. Right now. <laughs> There's a reason you have time to do that. You have no friends. 
the reason you have no friends is you're a jackass. And I will say that to you. Everybody in this room have wanted to say it to you, and, and, and unless they're jackasses. We're going to get to that in just a second. I want That's your problem. So uh, notice the ad hominem argument there. You're just a jackass and you have no friends. That's why you do that. Yeah, that's not even close to the truth. That and you're either demon-possessed or oppressed. Oh, or you're demon-possessed or oppressed. What if, what's the other option? Perry Noble twists God's word, and the person pointing it out is doing the work of God. Compare what people say in the name of God to the word of God. That's what the Bereans did. In Perry Noble's universe, anybody who would critique him is automatically a jackass, somebody who doesn't have any friends, or is demon-possessed. Right. Because when a move of God is working and people are getting saved and lives are getting changed, who would criticize that, God or Satan? Ask yourself that question. Uh, Again, Perry, I just asked the question, is it God or Satan that teaches false doctrine and twists God's word? How can it be a move of God when you're twisting God's word? I'm going to blog about you. I don't read it. I don't. If we ran out of toilet paper, I'd have somebody copy and paste it, and we'd use it for that, but that's about it. That's what I think of your blog. Oh, somebody's liking that. You say, Perry, what about the jackass in the church? The jackass in the church is the person that always screams, I want to go deeper. So the jackass in the church is the person who says, I I want to go deeper. If you want to go deeper in God's word, you're a jackass, according to Perry Noble. Wow. You know what I tell people that say that around here? You're only as deep as the last person you served. You want to talk deep? Let's go check your tithing record and see how deep you are. So it's not possible that he's that he is, actually has a biblical mandate to preach God's word, the full counsel of the word of God. The person who's complaining and say, you're not really handling God's word, and I want to go deeper. What's he do? He t- flips the table on that person and say, it's your fault. Who? How dare you do that to me? Whoa. Deep? Deep? Most Christians are, uh, John Maxwell said it, most Christians are educated way beyond their level of obedience anyway. What you're... Wow. Really saying is you want me to stand on the stage and confuse the heck out of you so you don't have to apply what I teach on Sundays. I could do that. Complete lie. Your job is to preach the word, Perry, and to go deep and to preach the full counsel of the word of God. And how dare you condemn somebody who is rightfully pointing out from the scriptures that that's your job. I want more worship. You got six other days. Yeah, don't come to church expecting to to have that here. No way. We're too busy playing Hell's Bells on Easter. Or was it Highway to Hell? Maybe they've done both. If you were full of Jesus when you walked in here, it wouldn't matter to you how much we sang. Wow. If you were full of Jesus, it wouldn't matter how much we sang. These are lies of the devil, and I mean that literally. These contradict the teaching of the word of God. The purpose of a pastor is to feed God's sheep, to feed Christ's sheep. The scripture is clear on this. And when the sheep is complaining that they're starving to death, it's in, and they do at Perry Noble's church. So what's happened? He's creating this culture and sending it out to thousands of other pastors. Don't come to church expecting to be fed. Don't come to church expecting to have deep worship. We don't do that here, and you wouldn't be complaining about it if you actually loved Jesus. We've had people say, can't go to that church. Why? Well, if you die, who's going to preach your funeral? Does it freaking matter? (laughs) Do you really think 
when Jesus was dying on the cross, he said, now my people have someone to preach their funeral. Jesus doesn't care about the funeral. He conquered death on the cross. Are you willing to work? The third question, are we serious about reaching the world? I got to hurry. I just looked at the clock. I'm so sorry. I got hung up on that jackass thing and I, I couldn't stop. This is the part that I was the most nervous about, to be honest with you, but I feel like I've got to say this. Um, I think a lot of churches aren't serious about reaching the world. And so because of that, we get more obsessed with terminology than we do Jesus. And instead of identifying ourselves as the church, we identify ourselves as something else. I wrote down four terms <clears throat> that I think are really overplayed in the church today. Um, this will get me in some trouble, but I'm fine. First term is contemporary. We're a contemporary church. And I've got definitions for you. Contemporary means our pastor wears a sweater vest. And we sing songs to Jesus that make him seem like he shops for his undergarments at Victoria's Secrets. And we treat him like our boyfriend rather than our king, our Lord, our savior, and our God. Blended. Blended, blended church, you know what I'm talking about? Know when our church actually possesses a set and will proclaim where we stand. Do I need to comment? So in an effort to reach, or in an effort to keep everyone happy, we reach no one. Missional. Most overplayed term in the church. It drives me up the freaking wall when a church says, we're missional. Duh! You should be freaking missional. That's like a fish going, I like water, I like water, I like water. Let me tell you what missional means in most churches. Nobody's showing up. So we sought out a term to affirm our dysfunction and affirm the fact that the mission that we are carrying out is not the Great Commission, the one that Jesus said. Apparently the only way that's a valid way to do church is the way he does it. No in-depth Bible study, no deep worship, no deep biblical preaching, beat the sheep who dare to point it out, call them jackasses, run them down, persecute them, and assassinate them their lives. Yeah, uh-huh. Folks. When the mission of the church, because I've heard, I've heard all, well, we just go out and we serve people and we just give them coffee. Okay, great. You gave them a cup of coffee. They're going to hell without Jesus. When are you going to tell them about Jesus? When are you going to bring Jesus in the whole mix? Because Jesus didn't die so that we could form holy huddles in the church and get obsessed about terminology and have meetings and theories and ideas while a world around us goes to hell. The church should be missional. It's called the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples. That should be our mission. Well, really, how are you going to pull that off? Make disciples without in-depth Bible study, without Sunday school, without anything that is deep in the scriptures at all. Unbelievable. Here he reads the text that tells him what he should be doing, 
and then he turns around and beats people over their head if they point out that he's not doing it. Missional. The last one, emergent. I doubt he even understands the term. All these guys watch on the Internet. We're a bunch of spoiled former church kids who have a problem with authority. Not a bad description. Including the authority of Scripture. Perry, you are not one to talk about the authority of Scripture since you twist it and mangle it so badly. This would be a valid criticism once you stop twisting God's word. So we have sided with Satan in questioning the word of God. And because of our movement, hell will be more crowded. I said, I mean, come, come get me. Most of those guys are going to have to sober up before they do anything to me, all right? Or get saved. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 8. <laughs> Here we go. More Bible twisting. 2 Kings chapter 7 has nothing to do with anything that he said here. <laughs> the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents. They ate and drank and carried away silver and gold and clothes and went off and hid them. Then they, they returned and entered another tent and took some of the things from it and hid them also. Stop! This is the church! We make a change. God starts moving. We discover something great. And the church wants to hide it for themselves. I remember one time preaching in a church. and That text doesn't say that. Evangelistic message about people coming to know Christ. And a woman coming after, after me going, you don't understand. We don't want more people at this church. Like, you don't want more people at the church. Jesus Died so that we could reach people. So these guys are like, let's hide this to ourselves. We go here, we got the holy huddle, we, you know, the small group, and we kind of discuss, you know, you know. The text doesn't say anything of the sort. The text does not condemn a church where the pastor preaches God's word and makes disciples using in-depth Bible study, exegetical and proclamational preaching, Focusing on God's word and the Lord's Supper. Wow. All this other stuff that don't mean anything. Did Adam and Eve have a belly button? I, mean, I don't even know. I, mean, I don't even know what they look like. So anyway, here we go. Verse um, 9. Then they said to each other, we're not doing right. We're not doing right. This is a day of good news. Gospel good news. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, We went to the airman camp, and not a man was there, not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys and the tents that left that were just left there. Verse 11, the gatekeeper shouted the news and it was reported within the palace. And eventually, because four crazy lepers, because four men whose lives were completely falling apart, were willing to make a change. No, because the one true God performed a miracle despite the lack of faith of the king and his captains. And willing to walk forward and willing to embrace the work that God was doing, he set an entire city free. No, they were set free even before the lepers stepped foot in the camp of the Arameans. Twisting God's word. Perry, don't tell me about the emergence denying the authority of the word of God when you do the same thing through your twisting of God's word. God didn't call your church to condemn the city. He called it to reach the city and set it free. There are people that are dying and going to hell in our cities. And if we don't wake up and smell the coffee. If it's always got to be about us. I'm all for evangelism. The church must be engaging the culture and proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins to the lost and dying in our communities. 
But you don't do that at the expense of making disciples. We're not called to just proclaim the good news. We're called to make disciples. That requires in-depth catechesis, Bible study, sound expositional preaching, expository preaching, proclamational preaching that preaches the full counsel of the word of God, not life tips stripped to help meet the felt needs of seekers then we don't do what God called us to do. I've had people say, well, Perry, New Springs just into numbers. Cheers. I am guilty. By the way, the only church that says y'all are just into numbers are the churches that have no numbers. So I started reading through the book of Acts, because I was curious about the numbers. And I was like, God, am I wrong for wanting numbers of people to meet Jesus? Because see, because I remember what it was like being lost. I remember what it was like to work in a restaurant on Sundays when Christians came in. And I almost didn't give my life to Christ because of the way I was treated on Sundays by the people that had just left church. I remember what it was like to go to a high school where all the Christians had a clique and nobody ever invited me to church and I was the biggest pagan there. See, I haven't forgot where I was when Jesus saved me because a guy that most people don't even know named David invited me to a Bible study and told me there were hot girls there and that's, that's, works. The reason I'm obsessed with the numbers is because I was one of those numbers. Jesus saved me. And so the church can sit around and go, y'all, listen, I want more people to meet Jesus. Keep in mind, he was saved in a traditional church. They must have been doing something right, don't you think, Perry? Jesus, who would be angry at that? God or Satan? So I went to the book of Acts. I was like, God, this numbers thing. God, am I wrong? Because if I'm wrong, I want to repent. And it's amazing. Well, what do you all do with them once they get saved? Isn't it amazing how the church will trust the Holy Spirit for salvation but won't trust him after salvation? Holy Spirit, you did your job. We'll take over. Seriously, I, I, went, I got, went to God. I asked him. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to read several verses of Scripture consecutively. And every time you see the word number and I get to the word number, I just want you to yell it out. If you're in the, on the Internet, do this. You might be in Starbucks right now. Just, just make a freak out of yourself. Just do it, man. <laughs> every time I get to the word number, I just want you to yell that word. But when I get to it, like when it comes up on the screen, don't go, number, because that would be wrong. <laughs> Acts 2.41. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number. number that day. Number. Acts 2, uh, 47. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number. number daily those who were being saved. Acts chapter 4, verse 4. But many who heard the message believed and the number, number of men grew to about 5,000. Acts chapter 5, verse 14. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their Number, Acts chapter 6, verse 1, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, which is not a problem. Acts chapter 6, verse 7, so the word of God spread rapidly, the of, of disciples in Jerusalem increased. Uh, Perry, just let me point something out to you here, buddy. Um, here's the deal. Nobody is arguing that God's church growing is a bad thing. The thing is, is God's church is not growing when you draw a crowd. God's church only grows through the proclamation of repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. And when God increases the number through the preaching of the biblical gospel. The problem is not that you're focused on numbers. 
The problem is, is that the methods that you're employing and the gospel you're preaching isn't the biblical gospel, and you're not calling people to repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. You're preaching a works righteousness, decision theology-based gospel that is Pelagianism at best. And Pelagianism is a heresy. You are preaching to felt needs rather than proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name and making disciples, which is what you're called to do. Rapidly, Acts 9.31, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers. Why? Because they living in fear of the Lord. Acts 11.21, the Lord's hand was on them and with great of people believed and turned to the Lord. Acts 14.1, at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. Acts 14.21, they preached the good news in that city and won a large of disciples. Acts 16, verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in if numbers aren't important, then why are they all over the book of Acts? And who was the one bringing the numbers? God was. God was granting people repentance unto faith for the forgiveness of sins won by Christ through the preaching of the gospel, not felt needs. The only churches that numbers aren't important to are the churches that aren't willing to change. And the churches Again, that's a lie. that aren't willing to work. And the churches that aren't lie aren't willing to embrace the fact that we're called to reach the world. Lies again. I swear we've got a purpose-driven pope on our hands here in the Carolinas. Let me close with this. I was in Thomasville, Georgia over Christmas. South Georgia. Somebody from South Georgia here? Really? These people will kill you. Be nice to them. (laughs) So I was going to drive down to Tallahassee to, to drink some coffee. They got a Starbucks down there. They don't have one in Anderson. I'm not bitter. My mother-in-law, my mother-in-law, how cool is it to say this? How cool is it to say this? My mother-in-law has a Mustang. That's just awesome. You might be a redneck if. So my mother-in-law has a Mustang, and I borrowed it to drive it down to Tallahassee. Now, it's a new Mustang. It's like a, it's got the, I don't even know, because some of you are like, what kind of engine you're, ground, what, what kind of engine's in that car? <clears throat> Big one. I mean, that's all I know. I, I don't even, I don't know numbers or anything, so. So I got her and got her Mustang. I drove it down to Tallahassee and I kind of, and actually I met with some church planters. It was kind of fun. And, uh, I drove back and, um, I got on a road in Thomasville. It's called Metcalf road. And it's really, it's really straight. And like, you could just open a car up. And I'd been driving this Mustang all day and I'd been driving around Tallahassee with it. And I, I just had this thought, I wonder what this thing's got. Now it just rained and the road was wet. And so I literally, I didn't ease into it. I'm an adrenaline junkie. I stomped it. And that car started doing this. I don't even know. My mother-in-law might be watching right now on the Internet. And um, I'm probably never going to drive your Mustang again, but it was awesome. I stomped it, and the car started doing this right here. And I, and then when it finally caught, it was like, boom! And my hand went to this. I was like, this is awesome! <laughs> I got back in my, I got back to the house that night, and I'm sitting, I'm kind of writing some stuff in my journal. I felt the Lord tell me, Perry, that's my church. The church for years has just been cruising around And they've got so much power under the hood. If they would just stomp it, they would experience things that they've never seen or experienced before. Now, notice this is a direct revelation from Jesus Christ 
in the new uh, forthcoming Gospel of Perry. This will be in the red letters. He's exegeting what he believes Jesus told him directly and proclaiming it to all these people as if it's a direct word from the Lord that they are now beholden to and their churches need to pay attention because Jesus told it to him and now he's telling it to them and this is a word of Jesus. You have any problems with that? I do. For every one of you at Unleash, I'm praying that you would go back to your church and you would stomp it. Because I believe God wants to do things in your church that would blow your mind. You look at this church and say, well, this is, a, this is a big church. Hey, why would you limit the size of what God wants to do in your church to this church? He probably wants to do more. Please, for the love of God, stomp it and watch what he can do. Let's pray. All right. There we go. Any wonder how the events that unfolded in James Duncan's life, Dr. James Duncan, you heard it for yourself. You heard him speak about it and the experience that he went through and how by being a critic, he was treated in the most unchristian of ways. It's a fruit, a direct fruit of Perry Noble's preaching and teaching, not only at his church, not only at his church, but to other pastors. It is not only at his church, but to other pastors. The seeker-driven movement is Christian believer hostile. It's not interested in doing what God has commanded in his word the pastors do. Feed God's sheep, preach the word, preach sound doctrine, go in depth. They're not interested in that because they're all about bringing numbers in. And so what goes? The gospel itself. That's the problem. And the believers who rightfully standing on God's word are critiquing what's going on are being crucified and having their characters assassinated by men like Perry Noble. This must not be allowed to continue. Perry Noble needs to be called to repentance for his false teaching, his false doctrine, his Bible twisting, and the fruit of his ministry, which was now, is now so evident for everyone to see in the actions of his employees, whom he's responsible for, who he set the tone for and created the culture for, for them to do what they did to Dr. James Duncan. It is reprehensible. It is not in accord with sound doctrine. It, what happened is not a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is the fruit of false doctrine and false teaching and a false emphasis by a completely bankrupt, biblically bankrupt, seeker-driven, purpose-driven way of doing, quote, church. And it isn't. What do you think? Would love to get your feedback. By the way, I have invited Perry onto the program to give him equal time to respond and give his side of the story. But since I'm a jackass and I'm of the devil, I'm sure he won't. Come on. What do you think? Would love to get your feedback. Email me, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Well, we're rapidly approaching the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith, and I need to remind you, this radio program is listener-supported, which means we depend upon you in order to pay our bills so that we can continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. And right now we're looking for a 1,000 people to join our Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew. It is a mere $6.95 a month, which is like, what, two and a half gallons of gas? It's a, it's a one vente mocha... And a tall mocha at Starbucks. I mean, we're, we're talking just mere, mere dollars a month. And yet it means the it means the world to us. It means that by being able, when we get to a 1,000 people who've joined our Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio crew, then we have enough to meet our bills on a monthly basis so we can continue bringing this radio outreach to you. You can join by visiting fightingforthefaith.com and clicking on the Join Our Crew button. And, of course, if you'd like to donate a flat amount, 
you know, above and beyond that. You can do so by clicking donate or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, time for you to chime in. Let me know what you think. Unlike Perry, I read my critics' emails. So if you completely disagree with me, please feel free to email me. I will read the email. I might even respond because I do respond to my critics. All right. Well, folks, uh, we're at the end of another edition here. Again, if you'd like to email me, you can. It's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter. My name there again, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for your sins. Amen. <laughs> <laughs>